We've been going through the past few weeks uh, a series called Investigating Jesus, where we've been talking about and looking into to the life of who Jesus is uh, through the lens of the, the Christmas story, the birth um, of Christ. And we've really been doing it through this, this lens as well as the Advent seasons we had earlier with our readings. We've been talking about hope, and we talk about peace and joy. And this morning, we're concluding our time uh, talking about this with, with love. More specifically, there's a lot of ways we can kind of come at that angle of, of what is love and how does it kind of operate in our lives. But this morning, I want to, I want to talk specifically about the love of God. And I, I kind of think the gospel, when you consider the gospel in a nutshell, we're talking about a verse that a lot of you are familiar with. They're talking about this morning over in Kid Street even, uh, which is John 3.16. You know, folks who've been to church or even have never been to a church, maybe they've seen a football game, they're probably familiar with uh, with this verse. And John 3.16 says, For this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. And that's the gospel in a nutshell, that God saw us as we are, for all our flaws, all our failures, everything that we are, and he loved us. That was his motivation in sending Jesus the heart of the Christmas story is John 3.16, that God saw us as we are in our circumstances, and he decided to send Jesus, not out of obligation, not out of, uh, out of anything that he had to do, but as a response of love. And the love of God is all over the Christmas story. I mean, if you look, God prepares for Jesus' arrival. He prepares the people will be key in Jesus' journey. He talks about Joseph and how an angel interacts with Joseph there and how an angel interacts with Mary. And we've been talking about this in the, in the office. You know the song, Mary, Mary, did you know? She knew. The angel talked to her. We can settle that right now. Uh, but, but God was making a way. God was preparing the way for Jesus. He was preparing those people to understand what was to come. Um, he also, uh, as God sent Jesus, that was... Uh, not in, in the way that he sent him, because if you look at the prophecy, if you look at when, when the Messiah is referred to in the Old Testament, right? Especially in the Jewish culture, those people knew that scripture. It wasn't just a casual thing that was around. It was something they were very, very familiar with. And so they had a very specific idea as to what they, they imagined the Messiah to be, what they imagined the uh, they, they imagine it would be like a, a very political thing, that it would be like a ruler who's coming to take over things, not a baby in a manger with this couple who is not wed. That was not at all the picture that they imagined of, of this, this Messiah that was to come, but God chose to send Jesus in a very specific way to communicate a very specific message to us. And even the angels who, who came to the shepherds, right, uh, immediately telling them not to freak out because if you want to go down a rabbit hole, go down a rabbit, go, go, talk, go look at what the Bible says angels look like. That's what they said every time they saw someone. They said, don't, don't freak out. It's cool. Just That's a fun, you can look that up to, when you're at your in-law's house. Um, but even as the angels spoke to the shepherds, there's an encounter there um, where, where they kind of filled them in on what was going to happen. And their response is, is interesting. We see this in Luke 2, starting in, in verse 15. It says, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, uh, which the Lord has told us about. Verse 16 says this. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was a baby lying in a manger. And after seeing him, the shepherds told 
everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. Continues on in verse 18, says, all who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Concludes like this. The shepherds went back to their flocks, went back to normal life, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and all they had seen. It was just as the angel had told them. These shepherds were told by the angels what was to come and what to expect, and their immediate response was, well, we gotta go see that for ourselves. And upon encountering Jesus, upon encountering this love, they were changed. They had an immediate response where they had to go tell others about this. Not only that, it changed when they went back to normal life. When they went back to -to day-to-day, everyday life, they were glorifying God and praising him for what they had seen. It changed them on on a real level. Not like, oh, that was cool. Like, you know when you see a good movie, and you're like, oh, that was cool, and then you forget about it. Not like that kind of change. I'm talking like, y'all are going to get this immediately. It's like, for those who are married, it's like when you met your spouse, right, and it really clicked for you. You're like, this is my person. It changes everything for you, right? Like, I don't remember things. I still remember what my wife was wearing when I met her. That's weird for me. Like, that doesn't, I, I was changed at that moment. Or for those of us who have kids, the first time you hold that baby, right, no one tells you what you're supposed to feel. No one tells you how, like, you can kind of, like, talk to people about it. But when you experience that, you're changed, Or maybe think about the first time that you really understood and thought about the cross and what Jesus did for you there. It changed you in a real way. It's not a a change of behavior. It's not a change of opinion. It's a change of who you are and how your life is to be going forward. Does that make sense? When you encounter and when you experience love, you're going to be changed. And And it even goes further than this because... God doesn't just extend love to us. The Bible tells us that God doesn't just give love. God is love. God doesn't just give out love to us. He actually is love. And we see this in 1 John uh, chapter 4. Verse 16 says this. God is love, and all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. There's a lot to unpack in that statement. First, it's the direct statement and and fact and truth that God is love. Not only that, but we're seeing here that it's not that God is loving. You see a difference there? It's one thing to say God is loving versus say God is love. The two things are one thing. You see that? You can't experience love without God. You can't experience God without understanding and seeing and experiencing true love. But I think to to get to this point, to this, this truth, I feel like you need a little bit of context of where uh, uh, this passage kind of leads up to it. So if you want, uh, if you get your Bible with you, if you get your Bible app on your phone, go ahead and pull that out. We're going to read along together. We like to do this as a church on a regular basis. We're going to start uh, in 1 John uh, chapter 4, and we're going to go from uh, verse 17 on. So this is First uh, John 4, starting in verse 7. It says this, Dear friends, Let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. We're seeing this continued message of these two things are not related. They are the same. God is love. Verse 9 says, God showed us how much he loved us by sending his one and only son 
into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. And this is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Again, it's not that there was a reciprocity. It wasn't we did this, so he did that. It was a complete act on God's behalf for our benefit. Verse 11 says, Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely ought to love each other. That if he loves us that much, it's to cause us to not hold all that to ourselves and to feel really good about ourselves, but instead, the response should be to turn and to point that out to to others. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. Let me read that one more time, because I think this is really, really important. Because God's love is not just something that we're supposed to think about or like feel really good about and like make us feel nice. God's love is something that's supposed to be a hallmark of his people. And in fact, what we're seeing here in the word is that the way God's love is expressed in our world most fully is through his people. So again, this is verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, if we express that to one another, God lives in us. And his love is brought to full expression in us. Verse 13. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. That all who declare Jesus, that Jesus is the Son of God and the God living in them, that, and they live in God. We know, uh, <clears throat> we know how much God loves us. We've put our trust in his love. And this is where he picked up with the, the quote a moment ago. God is love, and all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid of the day of judgment, but we can face him with full confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. It finishes up like this in verse 18 and 19. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. That's a, that's a tattoo or a bumper sticker if I've heard it. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. And if we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. Few things that jump out at me here. The first is that the closer we are to God, the more we love like him. The closer we are to God, the more we love like him. I feel like this makes a lot of sense just as an idea because I don't know how you are, but when you're taking the time, there's, there's the idea of spiritual disciplines, right? That's a very churchy word. Spiritual practices maybe is a better way of putting it that you might feel comfortable with, like reading your Bible, praying, being generous, fasting. Y'all with me? Like nodding your head with me? And these things are meant to be practices because it's not a thing you do once and then you kind of go off. Like those are things that are meant to grow. The, the big fancy church word is sanctify us to make us simply more and more like Jesus. That makes sense? That's the reason we have these things in our lives. And as we, those things, the result of those things is to make us more and more like Jesus, but they also help us to become closer to God, right? 
a lot of times it's not a formula because I don't, I really don't want to create a, a, a model in your head where it's A plus B equals C. If I do this, he'll do this, and then this happens in my life. You see that? That's not how God works, okay? God's already done everything for us. Our job is to position ourselves so we might receive from him, that we might receive from the Holy Spirit, and out of that receiving comes the overflow. You see? The more we get closer to God, the more we can actually love like him. We're about to go into a couple days where we're going to be around people where maybe it's hard to love them. That's okay to say. And if you're going into it not in a place where you're close to God, not where you're, where, where, uh, uh, you're, you're spending time with the Father, you're taking time to pray, you're taking time to, to consider uh, the word. Like all the, if we're not doing those things to become closer and closer to God, it is really, really hard to live out of this over here, my own strength, my own trying. We're going to get through it. It's only till Thursday and still love those people like God loves them. Can I get an amen? That's very hard, if not impossible. And you can fake it for a little while. You can fake it for a lunch, maybe for a day if you're really good. But at the end of that, you're left empty because it's all about you. It's all about what you can bring. And our love is not perfect. It's just not. We can only know, God, know love because we know God. And so the closer we are to God, the more we can love like him. Verse 17 said this. It said, as we live in God, as we, we go about our lives and we become closer and closer and we, we have these spiritual disciplines in our lives, our love grows to be more perfect. And I, I don't want you to, again, get the thought in your mind about this, this idea of being perfect as like being exactly right. I think it's just more and more like how God loves people. And this idea that it's a growth, it's a it's a journey. It's something we kind of happens over time. It doesn't just immediately happen, right? And again, it's you put yourself in the right conditions to put your, make yourself closer to God. You're, you're spending time in the Word. You're spending time praying. You're spending time with these different spiritual disciplines, cultivating, making a part of just your life. Does that make sense? As we do that, we become closer to God. Think of like a tree, right? If you take a tree and you deprive it from the things that it needs to grow, what happens? It withers, Right? You take away water, you take away fresh air, you take away sunlight, you take away good soil, a foundation. It's going to wither and fall over. It might try to produce fruit, it might try to do what it's designed to do, but it can't. Whereas if you position a tree where it needs to be, you give it the things it needs to grow and flourish over time, you're going to see fruit. Fruit is not produced with a tree going, and like fruit pops out. That's not how it works, right? It's a process over time. As we draw near to him, not only will he draw near to us, but we're able to love more and more like God does. So the closer we are to God, the more we love like him. The second thing is that love and fear cannot coexist. They can't. It's like oil and water. They can't be in the same place at the same time. And what's interesting about that, we see this in, in verse 18, it says this. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. It's, it's not that such love doesn't fear things, okay? It's not saying we can't be afraid of stuff. It's just saying that these two things are incompatible in the same space at the same time. It means that it's the antidote. Love, God's love, is the antidote to fear. It's the antidote to anxiety, to worry, 
to angst, to the pit, the feeling of the pit in your stomach that you just don't feel right about a situation or you're nervous about what's coming or you're worried about that kid or you're anxious about that situation that's coming later this week. It doesn't mean you don't feel those things because Jesus was not born into the world and then everything's great. That would have been cool. That's not what we see in the Bible. In fact, Jesus in his time in his ministry promises us that you're going to go through stuff. That's why I'm here. The point is not that he solves everything. It's that as we go through those things, he promises to be with us, to be close to us. And that this is part of kind of like how we process those things. That when we experience worry or fear or we, or we encounter anxiety, it's not a thing we should pretend isn't happening because those things are very real. It's a very real part of life. But instead of responding with, I've got to try harder, I'm going to think better, I'm going to do my way, I'm going to list my way out of this, I'm going to organize my way out of this, I'm going to control my way out of this. Instead, lean in and rely on his love. Are you fearful? Are you anxious? Are you worried? In those moments, we have to choose to remember God's love for us. That even though I am anxious about what is to come, God saw me in this circumstance. He already knew what I was going to be walking through. And to prepare for that, he sent Jesus. He sent love. Love and fear cannot coexist. Finally, we are only capable of love because he loved us first. We wouldn't even have an idea or a comprehension or, or a shadow of what love is without God going first, without God loving us first. We love each other because he loved us first. That's how that passage ended. And without God, we have no ability, not just to love people, but to comprehend love. You don't have a model for it without God going first and sending Jesus, without the Christmas story happening. And, and this kind of, the ultimate show of love was God sending Jesus, because he didn't have to do that. Like, God's the creator of all things, there's a million ways he could have solved the issue of humanity and sin and brokenness in the world that came about from the very beginning with Adam and Eve. There's a million ways he could have solved this, but the picture he painted, the story he's telling, is one not of a problem-solution A plus B equals C. It's of a human condition and the remedy being a person, love incarnate in Jesus. It kind of takes us back to where we started, John 3, 16. And this is how he loves us. This is how God showed his love for the world. He gave. He gave. It didn't say he was forced to. He was obligated to. Contractually required to. He said he gave his one and only son. So that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. I think John 3, 16 perfectly paints a picture of this word that we hear a lot at Christmas time. It's like a church word, right, that you've heard. It's just a, it's just a, a, a translation of a Hebrew or a Greek word. It's, it's Emmanuel. John 3.16 is Emmanuel, which is just God with us. That's all that word means. Whether it's an I or an E, it's just a Greek or a Hebrew thing. It's the same word. You're not spelling it wrong. You're finding the way. Emmanuel is God with us. John 3.16 is that God saw us, he loved us, and therefore he sent Jesus. He gave his only son to be God with us. I want to read a little bit of the Christmas story together. This is Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. It starts like this. 
And this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break their engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. It continues on like this. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Now he's gonna, the, this is going to reference back to Old Testament prophecy. It says this. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's where the word comes from. The whole point of the story of Christmas, of the story of Jesus' arrival, is not just a fun thing we tell once a year because it's nice and cozy in wintertime. It's the story of God becoming man and coming close to us. And so if God is love... And Jesus is God. If, if those things are true, if that's what the word's telling us, then not only is Emmanuel God with us, but Emmanuel is love. It's love with us. It's love coming down in the form of a person to be with us, to be accessible to us, to live the life we live, to experience the things we experience, to walk through the same things that we experience day in and day out. If, if, if it's God with us, it's love with us. And we aren't able to know what love is until God decided to have love come close to us. And we're able to experience true, like real love, like unwavering and unconditional love because God, simply put, is love. Without Christmas, without Jesus being born, without this gift of a baby in ridiculous circumstances, We wouldn't know what love is. God could have solved a problem or the problem of humanity in a million different ways. But instead he chose a person, his son. He chose to send love. As we close today, I want to to bring up just, just three ideas about love that I think have been helpful to me in understanding how to make this practical, how to make this something that I'm able to kind of process in my day-to-day life, because I don't know about you, but there's, it's nice to have uh, these, these moments where we're able to look at Scripture together, where we gather as a community. This is good, this is healthy, this is something we need in our lives as those who follow Jesus, but I think it's important to figure out how we make this a part of, of how we decide to live our lives. And these are three things uh, about love that I, I think are helpful. The first is that love is not something we create. It's something we're meant to receive. It's not something we create. We can't just fact, manufacture it out of nothing. We can only receive it and then distribute it from there. This is John verse, or chapter 1. This is verse 14. It says this. So the word became human and made its home among us, and he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. I love that, that verbiage. He was full of it. And, at, and, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And verse 16 says this. From his abundance, because he was already full of love and faithfulness, he could overflow. Out of that abundance, we've all received one gracious blessing after another. 
For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and his faithfulness came through Christ Jesus. We can't create love, we can only receive love. And we receive it because Jesus is love, full and overflowing and abundant. It's not, we don't, when we say we receive out of the abundance, it's not, it's not, your brain might go to like money automatically. It's not just that. It's the overflowingness. When you have a pitcher that's full of water, the intention for it to be full of water is not for it to sit there being full of water. Now it's a vase, you see? A pitcher full of water is meant to be poured out and then refilled and then poured out and then refilled. You see that? It has a purpose. It's the same way with us. The reason we receive love, the reason we were designed to receive instead of create love is so that we could be filled up and then poured out. We receive from His abundance. We receive love instead of creating it. Second thing is love is not meant to be kept. Love is given to be shared with others. It's not not meant to be something we just kind of hold for ourselves. It's something that's meant to be shared with other people. This is still in the book of John. This is chapter 14, verse 34. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, "So so now I'm giving you a new commandment. To love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. He says this a million times in the scripture. It's not, love is not something that's meant to be received and, and kept to ourselves. It's meant to be then used and repurposed for others. We're simply meant to be a conduit of that love. Love isn't love unless it's shared with others. If you keep it to yourself, it becomes something else entirely. The whole point of us receiving that love is to then display it for others. If you're turned on a flashlight in the middle of the day, it's hard to tell there's anything there. If it's just its own self, it has to be expelled into the other things. It has to be put into darkness for you to see that it's actually a thing. Love is not meant to be kept. It's meant to be poured out to others. That's the purpose of love. And the last thing is, is love is not a thing we do. Love is a core part of our identity. Of those who follow Jesus, it's not a thing we're supposed to check off on a list every day. I love somebody, done for the day. It's a part of who you are. Like you'll hear people talk a lot of anyone who wants to see change in their life. One, especially these people who talk about like uh, habit culture, things like that, right? A lot of the science behind it is those who are most successful in seeing actual life change are those who take it from being a task of things I want to do. I want to be a healthier person. Okay, cool. Then I need to eat better and I need to work out and I need a da-da-da. People who focus like that tend to have less success because guess what? It's about doing more and more and more and that's exhausting. Whereas people who take that same goal, I want to be a healthier person, And they apply it to their identity. I am a healthy person. You see the difference? I'm a person, I'm going to work out, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Versus, I'm a healthy person. So, I'm going to do this, this, and this. There's a difference between, I'm going to love someone, I'm going to give generously, I'm going to do this, where I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. Love isn't a thing we do, it's something we are. I follow Jesus, and therefore I love people. It takes out the equation of, well, you know, I don't, I, they don't have the same politics as me. They don't have the same 
perspective on this life. They don't raise their kids the same way as I do. So what? So what? I don't, I don't see any qualifications in any of this stuff. When it becomes a list of things that you do, you get a little bit more control over it. Like, oh, I'm going to love someone that I'm comfortable with. I'm going to love someone who's next door. Rather than someone comes across your path, and because you are someone who follows Christ, you are going to love people. It's a subtle difference, but I think it's very important. Love is not something that you do. It's a core part of our identity. We see Jesus speak this in the very next verse. This is in chapter 13, verse 35. Jesus concludes that section by saying, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's not the t-shirt you wear. It's not who you voted for. It's not who you yell about on social media. It's not the morals you upkeep or the way you raise your kids or the way that you treat people at work. Like It's not about the things that you're doing. It's about who you are. It's the love you expel to other people. Love is meant to be a core part of our identity. To sum all that up, when it comes to love, we receive love. And as we receive love, we pour it out to others. And the way that any of that is possible is we have to shift from doing things that are loving to being a loving person because God first loved us. We receive, we pour out to others, and we are love, but only because he loved us first. As we close out this series today, I think, it's, I think it's so helpful just going through a season like Advent and, and considering all these, these, core, these big core truths like we've talked about with, with the readings and, and the process of, of, of hope and of peace and of joy and of love. Like We've got to keep these things fresh in our minds. Again, the spiritual practices. This is just another example of a spiritual practice done in a, in a community setting. I think it's so important for us to keep those things in mind. And so as we move forward into the rest of this season, even there's just a few days left, as you head into your new year, I wanted to write something for you guys to receive, which is just, a, this is just like an Advent benediction that I wrote. And the idea with the benediction is just something you receive as you head back out into the world. And so I want to close our time together by reading this as a way maybe to help you just prepare your mind and your heart for where you're heading into the next couple of weeks to not just leave behind, like a lot of times when we do these things at church, it can be a cool thing you heard and then we just kind of go back into the busyness of the world. And I hope these four ideas of hope, of joy, of peace, and of love are not things that you just consider and then move on from, but we're able to incorporate them more and more into our lives because we're becoming closer to God. We're becoming more and more like Jesus. And these are just expressions of that identity shift of becoming more and more like Jesus. So I wanted to close our time by reading this benediction and I'll pray our, uh, to end our time together. So if you'd like to receive this, don't feel like you have to stand or anything. Just hold your hands out like this just as a way to, to breathe and take a moment before you rush back into your busy lives. I want to give this to you and then we'll pray to, to close our time together. So God, in this season of Advent, God, would you help us to be lifted by the hope that has come and is coming again? May we experience the peace that passes all understanding in all circumstances. God, may we know the joy that is the Lord who is our strength. And may we pour out the love that has been given unconditionally to us. Let's pray.
God, we are grateful that you are not shy or you're not quiet about this idea that you clearly display a story of love all throughout the Bible. As we look into the life of Jesus, we can't help but see the undercurrent of love from beginning to end. God, through his love shown on the cross, through your love shown through sending him when you didn't have to, God. We're grateful for that love. Would you help us to be more and more like you every day so that we might become closer and closer to you, Father? That as a result, we would love others. We would, be, we would receive your love, God, with the intention of being filled up out of your abundance so we might pour out that love to others. God, give us those opportunities. Give us eyes to see those opportunities, especially over the next few days. For situations where we don't feel loved, where we don't feel loving towards others. God, would you give us the grace to realize it's not about how hard we try, how hard we try to love someone who seems unlovable, but God, would you give us the patience to remember it's not about us, that we're meant to be a blessing to others, that we're meant to pour out that love you've already so freely given to us when we didn't deserve it in the first place. God, we're grateful for your love, for the hope that you bring for the peace that you are, God, and for the joy that you bring that we we especially see and feel and understand this time of year. God, would you bless us as we go? We pray this in your name. Amen.